Welcome to the Good Grind Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois, and we have got a mm, quasi-garden bite for you today. It's kind of a rewind um, when we talked turkey with now-retired extension educator James Thury, and well, I, I say kind of a garden bite because as I was listening back to the audio I was like, well, where do I make a cut? This is all great information about, you know, comparing commercial turkey production versus how can you raise turkeys in your own backyard? And so I put a lot of that in there. So it's a little bit longer than your normal garden bite. Uh, but uh, we're looking, or actually in this case, we're listening back uh, to when we chatted with James all about turkeys. Uh, this is a time early on in the podcast when we did not have video uh or associated with it uh so uh you can't see our smiling faces here so enjoy uh this audio clip where we chat with james theory about commercial turkey production how that turkey kind of goes from you know the the turkey house all the way to our table and then we talk about how can you raise your own heritage breed turkeys in the backyard enjoy now I'm into programs that have to deal with rabbits, of all things. Although I made a mistake of offering a rabbit program near Easter time, and I was like, <laughs> no wonder people didn't sign. You can't you can do that around Easter time. So, but I do rabbits, I do sheep and goats, I do poultry, but mainly chickens. And then I, I do deal with grazers people that uh, uh, raise dairy cattle or beef cattle. But there I'm not, I don't have an animal science background. But when it comes to growing the pasture, you know, the choice of grasses, when to, to, when to, to seed them and how to take care of the grass, the weeds that go in there. And I've gotten a few things now about pasture management that I didn't know before. And they also apply to poultry, chickens. And I like to say poetry and chickens because when I say poetry, some people think I'm saying poetry, you know? <laughs> you gotta hang around me for a while before you get to know this Missourian accent, probably. Yes. <laughs> Such a thick southern Missouri accent. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I know you called me a guru. If I cannot answer all the questions, you bear with me and I'll do my best. Certainly. Uh, Thank you. We're so happy that you're here on the show with us today. Um, James, I, I'm curious, you know, when I think about turkeys and Thanksgiving, I, I kind of feel like it's similar to how the green industry grows poinsettias, because that's kind of my background in, um, you know, how greenhouses, they, they grow these poinsettias, which is the plant, I think it's like their number one selling plant. They yes. make a lot of their most of their money off of selling poinsettias, but it happens one month a year, maybe just like a few weeks out of the year. Is that the same thing with growing turkeys? Are most of these growers just selling the majority of turkeys like right before Thanksgiving? To a large extent, yes. Maybe eighty percent, yes. And that the other twenty or ten percent no, because there are people who really, really value the meat from these turkeys. I mean, <clears throat> there are people you can't just give them any other type of meat. They want just that one. But yes, to a large extent, we grow them, or those who grow them, 
hoping to make some little money, do it for the Thanksgiving element. And that also cuts across the board because if you target the Muslim Ramadan holiday, you then you've got to raise your sheep and goats at the right time just for that occasion. But back to the turkeys, they are very, they have, they are of season of benefit. And I would answer your question saying, yeah, to a large extent, they are really very seasonal. You gave a that nice example of poinsettias there. They are just like that. So how long does it take to grow a turkey? When were these, are, are they called chicks? Uh, the baby turkey? Polts, polts, P-O-U-L-T-S, polts. Okay. When do they start? And then uh, the thing is, um, you know, the best extension in, uh, the best answer in extension is two words. It depends. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so how long do you grow them? It really depends. Mm -hmm. One, on the heritage. Uh, is it, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. So if it is a uh, uh, land race or what we call breeds that have been in, in the U.S. forever, and by now, I think everybody should know that this is an American bird. So if you're getting some of those heritage birds, they grow slower, but their meat is so flavorful. Some people just don't mind the slowness. On the other hand, if you are commercial or if you are growing it for yourself and you want one great big huge bird, then it will take longer. So it can take anywhere from 16 weeks to 22 weeks. So we're talking five, let's let's say five and a half months plus or minus, depending on, even your management matters, of course. We are already assuming that you're doing a great job feeding them when they should be fed, cleaning the coop and making sure there are no diseases, all those good things. If you're doing all that, all things considered good, then five and a half months so it could be six, could be four even. So it all depends on the management and the breed. And if we have time, we can go into some of the breeds. Yeah, I, I'm curious, James. So how far apart are the majority of heritage that we consume related to our wild turkey that you can find out in, you know, in the farm fields right now and backyards? When I came to the United States 30 years ago, we used to buy a 10 pounder for a dollar a pound. Right now it's four, three, four dollars. So the same bird goes for 30 to 40 dollars. That's kind of so much. But the point I want to make is this. If somebody were to grow the heritage ones only, first of all, they're slow growing and they don't gain as much weight, then they would have to sell them way much more because they want to recover their money and they have that extra value. They don't have, they still have their original geno, genotype in them. And people value it when they get heritage. And you're familiar with uh, the heirloom tomatoes. People, people value those for their flavor and all those things. And the heritage breeds have those beautiful flavors. So they have extra value. That's the point I want to make. And they would have to cost way much more. So when it comes to the commercial aspect, if I was commercial, I want the faster growing uh, turkeys, the breeds that will grow faster. 
and gain more weight because then it will be per pound and I want them to mature quicker. So it's 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 all over the place. I mean, there's more of the commercial breeds than the heritage breeds for, for sure. Except for backyard, those who want to keep in the backyards, if I was to keep them, let me talk about myself, I would go for the heritage breed just because of the one, it's not such a huge thing. And secondly, it's more flavorful. And third, they have better instincts at life. They know how to run away from a predator. They know how to uh, forage. Those are great qualities in some of these meat buds that, that we raise. So I, I, I'm also a, not very, but a little bit more familiar with chickens. And, you know, I'm trying to compare chickens with turkeys here. Uh, with chickens, you have the Cornish cross, and that's kind of a mutant-looking bird. It's got, like, these big breasts, and um, it's it's a little bit of an ugly bird. D is that the, the, the turkey growers have their own, like, big meat-producing breeds? Actually, they do. And you know what its name is? Broad-breasted white. Just, I mean, and <laughs> so it's so commercial. When I'm growing commercially, I want a huge thing because I'm going to sell it to you per pound. I want to make more money. I don't care about the quality. I'm caring about the quantity at this point in time. The broad-breasted white is the largest and the fastest growing of the turkey uh, breeds. And it is great for confinement. So if you're going to grow them indoors, they're just happy with that. They're okay with that. And with the tom, which is the male, you can get it up to 36 pounds. If you are going to get it to 36 pounds and then you sell it at even $3 per pound, you're asking for $100 for that bird. The hens, the, the females, uh, get to 20 pounds. Again, that's the other thing. If you want to be not have those huge big birds in your backyard, go for the hens. They, are, they have smaller bodies compared to the toms, the males. So yeah, there's a huge big one uh, in, the, in, the, in the turkey world which rivals the, 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 the Cornish crow, which, which, and I agree with you, I don't like. I do not like. Yeah. Because and it's, isn't it? It's got quantity and not quality, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Now, that's my opinion. And isn't it some of these larger ones you have to artificially inseminate them? They're too big to breed on their own. I should have gotten to the third advantage of the heritage breeds. They breed themselves. With the commercial ones, you got if you're going to keep your breeding stock, you've got to artificially inseminate them. And the heritage breeds turn out to be excellent mothers. So they can raise themselves completely without you having to get involved. Good point, Ken. So speaking of uh, heritage breeds being able to like run away from a predator, you know, with chickens, everything wants to eat a chicken. Can turkeys defend themselves or is, are they a little bit more resilient to a lot of the things that want to eat ground birds, or in this case, turkeys? You know, one of the questions that you submitted was about predation. And uh, somebody, right. somebody talked about losing their birds uh, to predators. And I could see why that happened. 
because they were in the open, they were tiny, they were easy pick for any predator. And like I said, they do not have the instinct, especially the, the ones that have been bred or commercial breeds, they do not have the instinct to run away from predators as opposed to the heritage breeds or the ones that are wild, uh, but, you know, the wild related ones. So you got to come up with housing that actually completely is predator proof. And I know there was an extra question there. They made it predator proof against the birds that of prey, but they still lost uh, their, their turkeys to something else. I would comb that structure, the housing structure with a tooth comb, because even a small opening as tiny as that, a few inches wide, will let in a weasel. And that will go and mess those birds pretty bad. So before they are really huge and big, I would want to make sure that I protect them 100% from anything that could get in there. And so my suspicion, in fact, now I'm answering that question, so to speak, my suspicion is that there is a hole somewhere, some entry somewhere which you can't see that some weasel or some other small creature there has. First of all, you know, raccoons are so clever. They are the cleverest of those small creatures. They'll find a little hole somewhere and it could be up there, it could be down on the ground, it could be anywhere. So comb that structure with a tooth comb and find whether there's any entry hole somewhere. That would be my answer to your question there. They've been, well, some people have said that turkeys are very stupid animals and they are really not that stupid. They, they have nice personalities. They, 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 cannot, they can bond with people very nicely. The one thing you can do though, you can bring in the feed, it's in a bucket and say, you know, you've got to do something else while you come and pour it in there feeding troughs or whatever. The moment one jumps in into the bucket, the others will all jump in. What will happen to the ones that jumped in the beginning? They'll be, you know, they'll be trampled on. So don't do things like those. You are the one who induced them to do that. Just don't let them do something like that. So let's say maybe uh, next year we have the goal of growing our own Thanksgiving turkey. And you had mentioned, you know, if you were doing this, you would go with heritage breeds. Is this something, it, it, someone with maybe a little bit of uh, poultry raising knowledge could do on their own? Absolutely. Like I said, you give them the tender loving care. Um, as long as you make sure you calculate that each bird will have like three to four square feet of space, you, be, you should be fine because then there should be not, there should not be much stress. When you have too many of them in very small space, they start pecking on each other. And the moment one produces blood, everybody wants that blood. There's iron in there. It's tasty and good. So the, that pecking can be stopped if you have enough space. So that even if there's one that is the alpha or the omega male or female and wants to peck others, they have somewhere else to run to, as opposed to when they are really crowded. If you have some yardage, some room behind there, just make sure you don't have too many in there. Make sure you have nice cage, nice confinement. 
and if it is the heritage ones you can release them out in the you know in the lawn or in the grass or in the garden when it is not in production and look after them and take care of them hard um, them just make sure that you don't have any of the predators coming whether it's a dog or a cat or a, or a wild uh, critter any of those animals so it's it's pretty easy to take care of them and as long as you the, the biggest care first of all has to be when you receive the one day old or two day old poults a lot of people even with chickens I have had somebody call me, oh, my 56 uh, chicks came and within, within five hours of receiving them, half of them died. I told her she was the one that was a problem. These chicks have been um, traveling for the last two days. They are thirsty. They have been rocked all over the place. It's been a stressful experience. As soon as you receive them, give them water. That has to happen without any question. Secondly, have yourself pre be prepared two or three days before a nice little section that we call a brooder, which you are all familiar with, where there is wood shavings or something else on the floor. It's not cold, it's not concrete. Um, have water ready, have food ready, have heating ready. You've got to give them tender loving care. That has to be, you have to have 95 degrees Fahrenheit of heat going through. And you probably will not lose that many. We say we can tolerate up to 10% loss. When you call me and say 56 chicks, half of them are dead, that is not acceptable and it is really your mistake. So um, tender loving care in the beginning and proper feeding and making sure they have been vaccinated against coccidiosis and other, if, if for instance, foul pox is prevalent in your area, you, you, you prevent, you protect them against that, then you have a good beginning and you shouldn't lose that many chicks and they should go on to maturity uh, as you want them to. If they are for breeding, then they'll be ready in six months to start breeding. If they are for, for, for meat, anything between four and six, six, six months, I'm sorry, I hope I didn't say six weeks, four to six months. So are there some more breeds that are if a homeowner was going to do this, what kind of breeds would they want to look at? Kind of the heritage? Are there any that kind of work better than others? Yes, absolutely. So we've kind of said, unless you are a commercial grower, don't go with a broad-breasted white. You may want to go with a bourbon, bourbon red. It's probably got feathers that look like your beard, Ken. And they are... They are liked for that color. <laughs> and the goodness with those is you can raise them in confinement, you can do partial confinement and partial outside, or you can do it on pasture entirely. And when I say on pasture, that doesn't mean you're not going to buy feed. You still give them feed, but then let them graze. Let them find grass. They actually eat grass. Uh, poultry eats grass, but it cannot digest grass. 
but the juices coming out of grass, the chlorophyll and all that, offer a few more vitamins and goodies. It also is roughage for the digestive system. So you still have to give them feed out there or give them feed in the housing so they eat and then go out and pick up the occasional cricket and grasshopper and worm. That's why the meat, by the way, or pastured poultry, whether it's chickens or turkey or whatever, or, or ducks, tastes better because they have all these extra ingredients coming into their flesh, their meat. So that would be uh, one, the bourbon red, and then although it's still called medium size, it still goes to 33 pounds for the tom and 18 for the, for the hen, the, the female. There's, then there's the bronze one, which is supposed to be strong and hardy, great for backyards, particularly this one, but it's a big one again, 36 pounds for the male and 20 for the, for the hen. And there are two types of species underneath this one, the heritage one, and that's where the broad-breasted white came from. So if you're not going with the broad-breasted white, go with one of its parents, which is the bronze parent, and it will give you um, uh, the raising of this will, will also be good. And it is okay in confinement or both confinement and partial, partial outdoors, okay? The royal palm, P-A-L-M, royal palm, is great for the backyard. Now this one, the, the, the male goes to 16 pounds and the female to 10 pounds. So again, if it's your desire to have the smaller bird, this is a good one. It is smaller for a start and it is slower maturing because it's a heritage bird. It's an excellent forager. It can fed for itself out there. If it goes out there, it will look for its own food. It can fly and roost. Now, flying is of advantage because if a hawk is, is swooping down on it, it can jump in the air and kind of fly a little bit, and the, and the hawk misses it. So it's much better for protection of itself against its predators. And then, yeah, you can do it outside a patio, outdoors, or on pasture. So again, that's really a good one, the royal palm, when you're backyard grower, that's a, probably a really good one. And myself, I would like it because I don't want a huge, big bird. I want something, I mean, 16 pounds isn't still small, it's still a big, big thing. And then there's the slate, S-L-A-T-E. The slate is like the, the bourbon red, goes to 33 pounds, and 18 pounds, 33 of course the male, 18 for the female. It has robust immunity. So there are two diseases we probably will get into in a little while, but it has immunity to those two diseases. It has hardiness, it can survive in uh, changing conditions. I should also have said that <clears throat> the poles react very badly sometimes to changing temperature, changing uh, wind speeds, 
uh, changing dampness, they don't react very well to that. So, but this one, the slate, is great at adapting quickly to any changes like those in weather, um, in weather and, and environmental conditions. And they are very flavorful as well, the slates. And the goodness with them, you can raise them on pasture, you can raise them outdoors or in partial confinement. That's another good thing about them. So that's, that's the breeds that I have uh, in mind. I'm sure there might be others, but those are some of the breeds that they are for choice from homeowners. Would you say is it easier to hatch your own uh, poults or to buy poults and raise them from there? Both are easy. Let me put it that way. Uh, by getting, because I've, 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 I've gotten involved with one homeowner who actually bought a um, what do you call the incubator? The incubator. Yes, if you can get those eggs. Um, now, if you have your male and female turkeys and you just collect your eggs and keep them, you can always brood those or you can always incubate those. And my friend did get a very good count out of like 20 eggs. I think he had 15 or 16. That was a good return rate. So um, there are the four that didn't hatch were probably never fertilized. So you can brood your own. So hoping that you get a good return rate, that should be okay. The bad, the, the bad thing is you put in 20 eggs there and you, you're aiming at, at the very least to have 10 and then you get four. Now you wasted your time. So by buying, of course, you let somebody else do the job. That's what, that's the advantage of buying from somebody else. You just get prepared and then let the other person sell you after they've done the brooding and, and the, the incubation and send them to you. Obviously then the choice of breed that you may want may not be the one available or the one you're getting. So again, if you want to have your own particular breed and you have a male and female, you're more assured of keeping the genotype that you want. So the advantages and disadvantages of either option, that's, that would be my answer. Or should I have said that it depends? <laughs> the good old extension answer, yes. Yes, the best extension answer. <laughs> Well, that was a lot of great information all about turkeys. Well, the Good Grind Podcast is a production of University of Illinois Extension, edited this week by me, Chris Enroth. A special thank you to our listeners and a happy, happy Thanksgiving uh, to everyone. Whether you're listening or watching, we wish you the, the happiest of turkey days. And as always, keep on growing.